Do you have any intro ideas? Mike, I have no intro ideas. We've been, we've been talking as usual for three hours about everything in the world, and now we have to record a podcast, and I have no idea what to do for the intro. I feel like that's just going to be what it is. Okay, <laughs> go. Three, two, one, podcast. WWDC is approaching pretty quickly. Oh, it's far it's away. Coming up, coming up so fast. I feel like we were just at WWDC, and like it's going to be tomorrow. I mean, for most of my shows, it's an important part of the year, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. as you say, it's like the beginning and end of a year. I don't ever think that when we started this show, I expected it to be that way for our show, but it just is because we do something so strange every year, right? Where we record in person. We never, ever do that except at WWDC. It has become, even for Cortex, a, a real calendar event. Mm-hmm. And it obviously makes sense as the start and end of a year because summertime is the start and end of the year and january is a dumb time to do the start and the end of the year but yeah uh every time every time wwdc comes up and it's the summer it's like oh god there's a whole there's a whole year gone by already i can't Mm -hmm. believe it (laughs) and so yeah we were just doing our calendar planning and Mm -hmm. it is it is coming up it's coming up fast mike What's going on this year at WWDC? I wanted to let the Cortexans know that I'm going to be doing a live show again. Uh, Relay FM is going to be doing a live show on June the 5th at the Hammer Theater, which is where we were last year, which was amazing. And I know that we had a lot of Cortex listeners that came out to that. We have our tickets it's on sale, but there's only about 50 or 60 seats left. There are balcony seats, which is a great view. We love this theater. Um, we were so pr- impressed of it last year. Like every single seat in the house is a fantastic seat. Uh, yeah. it's, put, it's laid out really, really well. So if you want to come out and see our Relay FM live show at WWDC, I'll put a link in the show notes to the tickets, but it's at the Hammer Theater. You can Google that and you can buy our tickets there too, but there'll be a link there. So yeah, there's not many left. And so if you want to come out and see our show, which is a fun one, always at WWDC. Yeah. You put on a good show, Mike. People should go, people should buy some tickets if they're interested, if they're going to be in WWDC. Mm-hmm. Like it really, it's a great venue uh, and it was really fun last year. So yeah, go get some tickets. Now, I had a great question come in from a listener recently mm-hmm. that I wanted to talk about on today's episode. And then I figured, why don't we just make this entire episode and ask Cortex? You want to roll into some Max Cortex? I do. But I have a Caretex question that came in. Oh, Caretex. It's been a long time. From, yeah, it's been a very long time since that segment. Uh, and this comes from, from uh, listener Mike. Listener Mike says, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Is me. this great question actually just you, Mike? Oh, it's, I have an amazing question. I want to start the show with. It's from Mike. I feel like I should have just said Michael, right? Like, because at least it would have maybe pushed it away from your brain far enough. But no, it's Mike with an I. Okay, so it can't be me. Can't be you. No. Uh, Mike says, "I find myself having trouble putting my theme into action. My yearly theme is sweating the small stuff." Because I constantly Mm. miss details or do things less well than they could be done uh, because I'm not thinking about those small details. The trouble is that my yearly theme doesn't pop into my head until after I've already done something poorly. You and Gray talk about how a theme is something in the back of your own minds that informs all of your actions for a year. But it feels like there's maybe a habit building step that either I haven't caught or hasn't been discussed that I want to get a hang of. And I was wondering if you had any tips. I tell you, I can sympathize with this problem Mm -hmm. at times where I'll do a thing and be like, wow, that wasn't about stabilizing at all, was it? (laughs) So so again, like just for a refresher, my yearly themes this year are stabilization and diversification. So for me, uh, I'm interested to know what you're doing or if you do something for this, but 
I've spoken a bunch about my journaling over time. That is what keeps me kind of on the straight and narrow when it comes to my themes. Mm. Um, and that is in from basically taking the time every day to think about what I'm doing and to note kind of how I'm feeling because how I'm feeling should match with those two things. I shouldn't mm. feel like my life is getting out of control when it comes to work because if it is, that means I'm not where I want to be. I want to make sure like I'm in control of things. But one of the big parts for me is my daily themes, right? So the, the questions that I ask myself every day, and they got updated a little bit. I was talking about that recently, just to be words rather than questions and the way that I score them. So my seven kind of daily themes that I want to try and attack in some way every day are to create, to advance, one word is just revenue, uh, teamwork, marriage, engage, and health. Mm-hmm. So not everything in that list ladders up to my themes. Some are just things that I want to make sure that I'm paying attention to. But to me right now, the ones that I'm focusing on the most are advance, create, and revenue. Mm-hmm. Like those three things, if I make sure that every day I am at least doing some work that I would count in each of those buckets, then I know that I'm moving towards my themes. Mm. Right. So, like, it's what I like about this kind of system is every day I'm having to basically check something off, right? To be like, did you move this forward? And in theory, if I was right in the way I've set it out for myself at the beginning of the year, I should be able to stay on course as long as I'm doing something towards those daily themes. So, here's the thing I'm going to totally back up journaling. Although, Part of the problem is if you're trying to establish habits is that journaling in and of itself is a kind of habit. You know, there's there's a little bit of like a feedback loop that's going on here. But whenever I do go through, because I, I don't journal consistently, I always, I always want to be journaling more. And when I do do it, the, the phrase that always leaps to my mind is like, I am angry at how effective it is mm-hmm. <laughs> because, it, because it is such a simple tool. And so I, I tend to use it in in bursts and and then i sort of fall away from it for a little while so i'm I'm not super consistent with it but yeah if if you're trying to keep um an idea in your mind and you want to try to trigger thoughts before something happens if journaling is a kind of habit that you can maintain then i think there is perhaps nothing better that you could possibly do to set it up that like, I'm going to visit this every day and I'm going to have a system of accountability and I'm going to do all these things. If like me, you may, you're either inconsistent with the journaling or you just feel like that's not a habit that you could sustain while you're trying to do something else. I would suggest for this Mike, who's totally not at all my podcast co-host, that I might just literally print out your theme and put it somewhere where you're going to see it more obviously. There was a lot of listeners uh, around yearly theme time incorporate their theme into their smartphone wallpaper. Oh, that's a great idea. That's yeah. a great idea. I like that. The, the only thing I'm going to say, though, is I do think if you're going to do this, it's actually quite important to move or change it on a somewhat regular basis. Mm-hmm. Because you can just become totally blind to it. Like if, you know, if, if you write out, like sweat the small stuff and you stick it on the top of your computer monitor, it becomes invisible after yes. a little while. You just, you don't 
really notice it. Because again, I always think of this as, as like in, in productivity, there's this thing about the Hawthorne effect, which is sim- simply changing almost anything increases productivity. Hmm. Um, but then there's a half-life to that. And so uh, if you're going to have something that you can visually see, I would move it around so that you don't become visually blind to it. So for me, one of the ways I don't print out what my theme is, but one of the ways that I do keep it in top of mind is that in OmniFocus, I do have folders that contain projects that are related to the theme, like and have the the year name. So it's like year of reorder. And it's like, here are the things that are directly related to this. And because I'm going through OmniFocus a bunch, like that is one of the ways in which I help keep it top of mind. And that folder is also at the top so that hopefully I'm, when I'm going through things, it's like I see that and that just plants the idea in my head a little bit. And then as I'm reviewing projects, I can see like, does this does this work towards the overall goal of what you're looking for this year or not? Uh, so that's the place that it exists in my life. Mm-hmm. But I do think you need to have some place where you're revisiting or seeing it. Other, otherwise... Otherwise, it's basically like a New Year's resolution, right? Where you say like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And then you never think about it again. You have to have, you have to have a loop. You have to have a feedback loop somewhere of revisiting and adjusting. Yeah, it's much more than just having the idea. Yeah. There has to be something, some kind of reinforcement mechanism for yourself. Yeah, you, you've got you've to come back to it. And that's, that's really the key. And you, you can't just expect that you're going to think about it at the appropriate times. And also, I always want to say this as well. Never expect perfection from yourself. <laughs> like, you know, the, the the whole reason that you probably set a theme in terms of whatever it is, is because this is an area that you have a hard time with. <laughs> so like failure is always part of the process. Like yeah. that's, you're going to not sweat the small stuff if the thing that you're concerned about you don't do enough is sweating the small stuff. So like don't beat yourself up for small mistakes. Yeah, and also like spend some time thinking about what that actually means as well. If all you have is those words, like just those four words, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise that's what you got to be like 100% hit rate on thinking about all mm. the small things in a year. Like you need to understand what does that look like for you? Like what actual outcomes do you want to see? And spend yeah. some time kind of like thinking those through, writing them down. What exact things do you want to get better at that falls under this banner? Yeah, like, like something actionable that I was doing much more towards the start of the year. But I, I think of it like as a, as a sub-theme for the year of reorder. Was I was thinking about closing projects that like my OmniFocus just has a lot of open projects. And some of which have been open for an embarrassingly long period of time. And so like the, the clear actionable idea there is this list of projects that I have should shrink. It shouldn't continue to grow over the course of the year. By the end of the year, the number of projects should be much smaller. And so trying to say like, this is never going to happen. I'm just going to close this project, you know, like, like we all do to look at a little project that's been on the list for six months and say, you know what? I could knock this out in two hours if I just sat down and did it. And like, boom, get that thing done. And that feeds into the feeling of the year of reorder. It's like, oh, having a cleaner, smaller list of projects feels more orderly and it feels better. And it's also a clearly actionable task. Like there's a number of projects. It should be smaller. It's not a goal, but it's like 
it's a direction that you can clearly move in. And it's, it's become a bit of an articulation of what does the year of reorder mean in a concrete way. And that's one of the ways it is manifested over these months. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Look, we can all say, we can all hold our hands up, right? And just say, cybercrime doesn't happen to me. Why would people want my data? Well, the bad news is stealing data from people like me and like you using public Wi-Fi is actually one of the simplest ways for bad people to make money from your information. If you leave your internet connection unencrypted, then your passwords and credit card numbers could be vulnerable. But there's something you can do to protect yourself from cybercrimes, and that's to start using ExpressVPN. It works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing, encrypting your data, and hiding your public IP address. We have easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your device. You can turn on ExpressVPN protection with just one click, then you're free to safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And all of this is great, and that's one of the reasons I use ExpressVPN, but it's also good for location stuff. I live in the UK. Sometimes I will need to go to a website to read an article or watch a video, and I'm locked out because I am in Europe. Well, I can use ExpressVPN, and I can say, hey, I'm actually in New York right now, and the website goes, okay, and then shows me the article that it should have shown me in the first place. Super useful feature of ExpressVPN. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. So go to expressvpn.com slash cortex to learn more and protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash cortex. That is expressvpn.com slash cortex for three months free of a one-year package. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So we have some Ask Cortex questions. The first comes from KJI. Does Mike still worry about career length in the entertainment field? Still. Did this come up? On an, on an old show? I can only assume that it did. Uh, maybe it's just a general, like, just aura I have about me. Right. You, you've never said it, but you give off anxiety. Fear, it yeah. radiates out from your body. Oh, Mike, he really radiates anxiety. It's probably an interesting way to describe me as a human. Um, yeah, of course I do. Uh, I definitely worry about that because all things that are entertaining are only entertaining for a period of time. Mm-hmm. I don't have any way of ensuring it that I can be successful in this field. I guess really the thing that I consider my the thing that helps me sleep at night when I think about what if everybody just got bored of me mm-hmm. is that I have built a company at this point which can support other creative people. And so that is always a skill I will have, and I will always have experience in doing that. So I do genuinely expect that at some point in my life, um, I don't create as much and really am just assisting other people uh, Mm -hmm. because I'm realistic in that, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to be realistic in that regard. Like I can't be relevant forever. Yeah. I was going to say uh, to KJI, who's asking this question, you know, Gray can worry too about career length in the entertainment field. Uh, I happen to know I have a spreadsheet where I track a bunch of my videos and I happen to notice that uh, my UK explained video is coming up on eight and a half years old now at this point, uh, which is just like inconceivable to me that it was it was that long ago. My view of careers in entertainment 
is that they're they're like they're like perfect storms that you know we we think of creators and people who entertain for a living like comics and actors and authors and what you have are people with particular skills but you also have to have the the weather of the broader the broader culture and the like the global audience has to match up with the thing that the person is producing and you don't have any control over that weather so like you know if you're a comic like you may be the world's the world's number one comic for a period of years but tastes in humor change and your very your very presence influences the change in taste of people so like i i really think it's crazy when i talk to people in entertainment who seem to just assume that their careers will last forever and it's like no 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 the like the very fact that you're here changes this this weather system and makes it more likely that some new hotness is going to going to appear that people are are going to then be interested in so you know i don't know how long my career in entertainment will last but i've i have never expected it to to last my whole life i think that's that's pure insanity i don't think we have really good numbers on how long youtube careers can last because youtube hasn't been around that long but you know it is it is a thing that's on my mind sometimes is you know am i still going to be making youtube videos and podcasts when i'm in my 50s and it's like i don't know that seems that seems unlikely and so that's a thing that's a thing that i will have to start planning for more and more as time goes on there does exist people that have been podcasting for like 15 years successfully you know at this point yeah the podcast world is longer but i think also just like just like you can find actors who have been acting for 20 and 30 years you're talking about an outlier group within an outlier group mm-hmm. so it's it's just i think it's insane to assume like if you're in a career in entertainment you're already in this outlier group and it's like oh not only am i lucky enough to be here i'm going to be like the luckiest of the lucky group and that just that seems like insanity thinking to me so yeah, I, like I know people do have these long careers, but I think they're they're very few. You know, like actors seem to come and go in these seasons, and then it's like, oh, and you never see this person ever again. They were in a whole bunch of movies for you know a few years, and then like whoosh, dust in the wind. I've been holding on to this question for a while, but I am genuinely interested to to get your opinion on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Thimon asks, "What are your opinions on the Mary Kondo hype?" Is Mary Kondo hyped? Is this because of our Netflix show? Yeah, yeah, the Netflix show. It was a big deal, man, for like a little bit of time. I was going to say, I feel like there's something in the weather that I should be reacting to here. But well, but no, this is this is interesting to me on another level. I'd never heard mm-hmm. of Mary Kondo before the Netflix show. You clearly have. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was into Mary Kondo before she was cool. <laughs> You're a Mary I- Kondo hipster. Is what yeah, you're saying. I suppose. I, re- I read her book a long time ago. Interesting. Uh, Why did you read that book? God, I can't remember. Someone someone must have recommended it to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it genuinely so long ago. I think I must have read it in the initial wave when it came out. What was what do you think of the book? Cuz I haven't read the book. I've just watched a TV show. And my understanding is the book has more philosophy around it. 
Okay, yeah, so I watched the Netflix show with my wife, and we both loved it. Like, it's, it's just fun. Oh, I'm pleased you loved it. I loved it, too. Oh, good. Do people not? Like, how can you not love Mary Kondo? She's adorable. I don't understand it, either, but yes. <laughs> it's like, is, this adorable woman is going to come and talk in a soft Japanese voice, and your house is going to be clean. It's Some like... of the couples are <laughs> troubling. Like, they're very frustrating. And I think that's, that's what helped a lot of people bounce off. The first episode might actually be the worst episode, and which is, like, peculiar to me that they started that way. But overall, <laughs> we really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I don't remember the couples in particular, but again, speaking of outlier groups, you don't get a lot of normal, regular people who apply to be on TV shows, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, couples couples on a semi-reality TV show, they're not going to be a normal couple, yeah. you know, and it's it's often, you know, you wonder this thing about like, oh, they, these people know that someone's coming to their house to clean up and this is what their house still looks like. It's like, Jesus Christ, what must it look like normally? <laughs> But then part of me thinks maybe this is exactly what it looks like because they're making poor judgment calls and being on TV in the first place. But whatever. No, I, I totally loved it. But, here, okay, here's an analogy. It's a bit like watching the Lord of the Rings movies, which I really liked. But when I was watching them, I couldn't help but think that the your average moviegoer is missing a lot of the experience here. And... Mary Kondo's show sort of struck me in the same way that like, oh, I really like this, but I don't know. It, it, I was really glad that I had read the book because I feel like I really understood what she was going for in ways where she's just saying a little sentence on the, on the show. And it's like, but there's so much more, there's so much more behind this, mm-hmm. but like, what did you take away from the show as someone who hasn't read the book? I mean, you, you say you liked it. A better way to store my t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Are your t-shirts happy now, Mike? They are happy. Uh, I did Mary Kondo my, my, my t-shirt collection. It's like mm-hmm. it's much more neatly folded now. Like I have, the, you know, that great folding method that, that she does where you kind mm-hmm. of stand everything up so you can see everything, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped me. It actually did really help me in getting rid of a lot of them. Right, mm-hmm. where it was kind of just like, all right, let's be real about this. Like, we don't need all of these forever. I just thank the t-shirts that have been nice to me, and mm-hmm. they can be donated now. And you know, in general, I I took I think a lot of practical tips from the show. You mm-hmm. know, stuff like the way that you organize your kitchen, and you know, it's not it's not groundbreaking, but like putting things inside of boxes and putting them in drawers. I'd never really seen someone do that before. Like, nor had I really like considered it as something to do for my own home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed it for that. And then, of course, it was it was just an entertaining show. But I don't feel like I really understand her reasoning behind a lot of it. But mm-hmm. I'm very confident that it's there. So it's interesting that you ask this. Because I actually think Marie Kondo is a maybe the most perfect example of an idea that some people really hate. And it's, it's the concept of the thing that isn't true, but is still useful. So if, if you read Mary Kondo's book, which I genuinely recommend to all the listeners, there is a thing about Japan which is useful to know before you read it, which is Shintoism, which is, which is I'll say it's a religion in Japan, but it's, it's not a religion in the traditional way that people think of it. But one of the concepts of Shintoism is that the inanimate world 
is alive with spirits. Mm -hmm. So like the world is alive in this way. And I think if you've ever watched movies like, um, like any of the Miyazaki films or a lot of Japanese movies, you can kind of see this cultural influence in them. Like, boy, the world is alive. Mm -hmm. Like in spirited away, everything is alive. And when you think about that, the book has this really interesting concept of constantly relating to all of your objects. Like you said, she has, has this idea of before you get rid of your clothes, you want to thank them for the service they have provided you, even if you don't need them now. And she has the concept of making sure that the things are happy. That like, oh, all of your t-shirts are folded in a way so that the t-shirts are happy. Now, obviously, I don't think that there's a there's a spirit that lives in my t-shirt. So that isn't literally true. I don't think that I literally need to thank an object before getting rid of it. But it puts your brain in the right space. 100%. Yeah, and I have found myself constantly revisiting the idea of, are these objects happy? Now, like what's what's really what's really occurring there is it's the question of are these things stored in a way which I feel good about, right? Like that's really what's occurring. But thinking of it as like, oh, all of these wires, they're unhappy in this box, is just like conceptually a framework that makes a lot more sense. And so my like my wife and I for years have used this phrasing of like, Oh, the, the cleaning products in that drawer are very unhappy, right? Like, so that, like they need to be rearranged so that they can be happy. And it's like, it's not true, but it's so useful. It's such a useful concept to think of this little spirit world. And, and I really think like I have, I have seen people I know who have a hard time getting rid of things. The idea of like thanking the object gives them this kind of closure. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense on a, on a logical level, but it makes sense on this weird emotional level that if you get people to thank their old pair of jeans for all of the fun concerts they've been to with those jeans, somehow that mentally closes, closes a door that lets people let go of those objects. So she has a, she has a ton of stuff in those books that if you just read it in a literal way. She sounds like a crazy person. Um, but I think if, if you read it in this metaphorical way and keeping in mind this idea of like a very alive world, I think the book is incredibly useful, even though it is not literally true for 90% of it, you know, and then, and then 10% of it is just greatly actionable tips and my personal favorite, which I actually just did recently with my office, so obvious, but never really occurred to me, is that when you want to clear out, a like you want to rearrange your closet or you want to rearrange anything, take everything out and then put it back. Mm -hmm. And I just did this with all of the electronics in my home office. And Matt, it was a quite literally three day long project of I dumped out all of the wires, like in all of the electronic gizmos and like all of these things that you just sort of accumulate over time. And it's such a great tip because 
it then requires like more effort to put them back than to say, you know what, this thing doesn't really need to be here. Well, and also you can't change your mind. <laughs> yeah. You can't be like, ah, this, this project sucks. I won't bother with it because it's all out now. Yeah. It's like a commitment device. And I remember the first time I ever did it uh, after I read her book was I did it with my closet, like take out all of the clothes and then put them back. And it, it was like, this is amazing. It's such a simple, obvious idea. But, you know, previously, if I was going to, quote, organize my closet, you do it in this haphazard way. You, you sort of like look through things and you're trying to find stuff to take out. And that's terrible. And it's it's not clear. It doesn't work very well. So I, I really like her. Um I think people should read the book, even though it does it does sound like Insanity Town at some points. But it, I really think it is a great example of this this concept. Like, it's not literally true, but it's useful. I definitely wouldn't have thought you would say that. I didn't think that you were going to hate it. But, like, I didn't know you'd read the books, so it makes a lot more sense to me that maybe you've taken more from it than just, like, the base tips, right? Because I'm assuming, I had assumed that the books had more kind of meat to them yeah there's there's a lot in there and and again i think it's really easy to dismiss and it is why i want like the very way this question for ask cortex was phrased makes me feel like oh i i imagine people perceive the tv show in this very different way like i don't know if i'm trying to imagine it like i guess i could see how people would be annoyed but it's because it's it's missing a lot of the deepness of it like your whole concept about sparking joy it's just like a phrase that she talks about on the TV show. But after reading the book, I feel like it's something that I never really thought about before, but is a is a feeling you can get attuned to. It is a very evocative phrase, mm-hmm. spark joy. It's two words, but you can really pull from that. I think that it is a very clever phrase. I like it. Yeah. So go read her book, everyone. Isaac asks, what day of the week do your calendars start on? <laughs> Well, Mike? Well, I feel like there's only one option for this. Okay. But I put it in there because I figured you would surprise me. I just, you saw it on like Wednesday or something. Uh, For me, it's Monday. Like Monday is the logical day to have a calendar start. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you there. I've I've changed all of my calendars to start on Monday. I I never liked the US arrangement of, of the week starts on Sunday. I can't get my head around that as a concept. I don't understand why you would start calendars on a Sunday. Yeah. I don't get it. Like Sunday is part of the weekend. Yeah. Right? We all call it the weekend. We don't call it like the weekend slash week start. Like it's called the weekend. Why would you start your calendar on the last day of the weekend? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it, no it, sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I've heard a bunch of traditional reasons for it that I also think don't make any sense upon a on a moment's reflection. Yeah, I'm not interested in hearing about the history right behind that. Like that's it's not going to help the case of why you would continue to do it today, right? Like oh, because in the Revolutionary War, like it's just not important, right? (laughs) Like for the for the today for 2019 as to why your calendar app would still start. Your calendar app, right? Like, why would you set your calendar app to start on a Sunday? I, I don't, I just can't get it. If you're used to it, fine. But I, I can't imagine what the utility would be. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things, growing up in America, all the calendars start on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But I, I the, the reason why I've changed it in software, and, you know, actually, I haven't even thought about this in years and years, because I just change it in all of my calendars immediately, is because it, it just makes it easier scanning over the weeks. Like it's, 
having to, to know like when the weekend occurs, it's just easier to visually look at the calendar for me and be like, okay, the first five days, like those are all the work days. And these two days are the days where people are around. It's like, okay, I can see it much more clearly. And it always bifurcated my brain trying to think like the center column is the work days and the edges are when people around like you just don't think about it that way there's two groups work days and weekends and splitting the weekend so that you have half on one side of your calendar and half on the other always seemed dumb and i never liked it so monday all the way while we're talking about calendars so when we did our state of the apps episode I made a proclamation that oh, yeah. there are no no good apps, no new good apps anymore. Like that, I kind of felt like it had been a long time. Oh yeah, since I'd found something that was unique. Like it felt like everything was just a remix when it came to apps. Like there was just no new ideas. Mm. Uh, friend of the show underscore David Smith, who is a wonderful developer, um, who's I think probably these days best known for an app called Pedometer Plus Plus. Mm-hmm. He has made an app called Calzones, which is also Maybe the best name. Uh, it is part time zone calculator, part calendar. Uh, and I adore this application. One of the reasons I adore this application is I was really like heavily involved in the development of the application. Uh, he originally asked me, tell me about how you use time zones. Mm-hmm. Because he knows I'm somebody who is constantly keeping track of like five or six time zones because of yeah. all the people that I work with all over the world. Um, and I have there are just a few touches in this application if you ever need to know what time it is somewhere else in the world, you need this application. I can't believe I have never used an app that integrates time zone conversion and a calendar because mm-hmm. you always need the calendar when you're yeah. doing a time zone conversion, right? So like when you're looking at the view to see what time it is in other places, your calendar appointments appear at the bottom. And then when you add calendar events, it has like a whole UI to add calendar events. And you know you have like a time picker, right? Where you can choose mm-hmm. the time that you want the event to be on. David created a custom one that shows you all of your time zones. So maybe you're tracking like six time zones. So when you're choosing the time in the event, you see all the time zones at mm-hmm. the same time. It's brilliant. And I absolutely love it. And I wanted to talk about it so people could get it. Because I think that a lot of our listeners could value it. Um, and it's it's one of those apps that's like, oh, immediately on the home screen. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I just think it's fantastic. It's really great to be able to see the way you, you can scroll left and right and sort of go past the days and see your calendar move along the bottom. And then you have time zones that you can lock in on the top. Like it mm-hmm. is, it is real. I don't use time zones nearly as much as you do. Um, I only really have to deal with one. Oh, the widget's so good too. It's like the entire view of the the application in the widget like all of the like conversion stuff is in the widget Ooh. and so like you're tapping through and you can see all of the times right so you get like these columns of the like so you, like you see it's like oh it's 10 a.m eastern 3 p.m in london like 4 p.m in rome or whatever and mm-hmm. when you've actually found the time that you want to do the event on in the widget you tap the number and it opens the app to a, create a new event at that exact time it's like yeah that's what i want it to do it's brilliant. Oh, uh, you know what? I have never, I never looked at the widget, and this might replace the long-standing clock. K L O K. This was it. Widget so me. when yeah. me and Dave were talking about this app very early on, I was like, Dave, I, these are my bare minimum requirements for a widget because I need to replace clock because at some point that thing's going away, and if yep. I'm going to use a time zone conversion app, I only want to use one. So like the widget was the thing that I cared the most about uh, initially because it was like I I want a new widget. 
And this right. one, again, it's like even better. It shows your calendar events. And then when you tap on the times, it just creates new events for you in the application. It's a great app with a hilarious yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, like you, I was in the beta underscore invited me in. And I had one deal-breaking feature. And he's, he's a fast developer. It's like later that day, boom. He's like, oh, I implemented that thing that you wanted. Amazing. <laughs> Go check it out. Uh, so it, you talk about fast, right? So you look at, look at this application. It came out on April 17th. Dave showed me his, like, he asked me for my feedback for, like, a proof of concept on February the 4th. Mm-hmm. And then he did it in, like, two months. <laughs> Couldn't, cannot fathom that. I don't understand development. And I, I cannot understand how you could build an app in, in two months. He's very experienced, but still, it just seems... It's mind-boggling to me. Did you see there was a hashtag Mike was right theme in the? I think as he thanks to me, there's like themes. Yeah. Uh, see, and one of them, one of them, he know. said, "What are your two favorite colors?" I was like, "Green and orange." And then there's a theme for me. I don't think people should encourage the Mike was right. You just there's one of them is 100 percent for you. The theme that's just called grays. It's your theme, right? No, it's got to uh, be. You know, it's just all gray. Look, that's that's classy. Mm-hmm, that's subtle. Mm-hmm. Mike was right. Very brash, over the top, in your face. Yeah, just so. like me. <laughs> Don't encourage him, people. Encourage it's the him. it's the color version representation of just my personality. <laughs> this episode of Cortex is brought to you by FreshBooks. Everyone likes to save time, but it's especially important when you're a freelancer. And FreshBooks is the online, simple cloud accounting software that's going to save you time. By simplifying the annoying, repetitive tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and, most importantly, getting paid, FreshBooks has dramatically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. And it's not just the paperwork that they help automate, it's also that awkward socialness. I've had this experience. Sometimes you send someone an invoice, and then it's all quiet on the Western front. And it can be really awkward to know how to deal with that. But FreshBooks really helps. They automate late payment email reminders so that you can spend less time chasing up clients or just less time worrying about it as one of those things that's on your mind and causes you anxiety, but that you don't actually do anything with. And they also eliminate the uncertainty about if the client's actually seen it. FreshBooks can let you know if they've received that invoice. So you can know without having to ask someone if you've sent it to the correct address or not. This helps put an end to the guessing games. So if you're listening to this show and if you're a freelancer of any kind and you've not tried FreshBooks, you really need to use it. I've used FreshBooks to invoice clients. I can't conceive of doing anything else. Now, FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of the show. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash cortex and enter cortex in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash cortex and enter cortex in the how did you hear about us section. Thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Camille wants to know, what does your current watch face look like? You know what? I just realized I was going to ask what your watch face looks like. And then I was sad for a moment. And I thought, oh, Mike doesn't have a watch face anymore. I do. It's really beautiful. (laughs) Are you going to put it in the show notes? No. (laughs) (laughs) uh... No. (laughs) Okay. I have a new, I have a different watch now. Oh, you have a new one now? You've seen it. 
Well, I, look, when you say a new one, I don't know how new, new, like, you know, you watch people, you're buying watches all the time. So I don't know. I'm not buying watches all the time. I have two watches. I have two watches. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll skip right past that. Here mm-hmm. is my current watch face. I'm sending it to you. Okay. God, I don't even remember what the heck they're called anymore. After that after that time where I ragefully screenshot all of the watch faces and arranged them and tried to show the limit. Like, like now I don't even remember the names of any of these things. But um, I'm using the watch face that has the four circular complications that you can use on it. Uh, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the literally only usable watch face in this current generation. It's, I think it's Infograph, right? Infograph Analog. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what it is. WWDC is coming up. I, I know I shouldn't say this. I know I shouldn't say it. But I swear to God, if there isn't the ability for developers to make watch faces, or at the bare minimum, a doubling in the amount of actual usable watch faces, I'm going to lose my f- mind. <laughs> I really am. I like that you're like, I'm not going to say it. There's no threat. Nothing's going to happen. Like, if they don't do it, then you're still stuck. Yeah, no, I am. I, I'm I'm totally stuck. It has really been amazing that this this year's watch OS with the watch faces, I think, was a, was a tremendously weird step backwards in terms of if you actually try to want to use something usable. But this this is what I have. Uh, just to go through it really quickly, I have the very vital OmniFocus at the top, which I really like, which shows what is the thing that I should theoretically be doing now. I don't always perfectly follow it, but I do like to have it there on the watch. So that's the text. Yeah, the text at the top is pulled from OmniFocus. So what that's doing is looking at like current start date, current end date. What is the thing that falls within that bracket? Yeah, if if you are a pro user of OmniFocus, you can set up a custom perspective and say, I want this custom perspective to show up on the watch. Oh, I know what you mean by pro user. I thought you just meant like really talented. Like, but you mean if you pay for it. Yeah, no, I mean if you pay for it. it... If you're elite OmniFocus like, user <laughs> like I am. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a noob, you're never going to figure <laughs> this out. <laughs> they don't let you. you got to be in the pro league to get access to this feature. To me, that's a total deal-breaking feature for a watch. Like, I have to be able to have OmniFocus on there in the way that it can display some words, which then immediately eliminates like almost all of the watch faces. I know I'm always putting in requests to Omni on the podcast, but I'm, I'm going to do it again. Just go to the forum. What's wrong with you? No, no. Listen, <laughs> I'm just going to. This is this is clearly the most sensible way to do it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It does drive me crazy though that it doesn't respect the order in the customs perspective. If you have an item that is due, it always puts that at like the top on your watch, which is a little frustrating because sometimes it's like, yes, I know a thing is due in a week. I don't need to see it now. There's other stuff I would rather have at the top. So I I, I wish it would respect the sort order on the phone and in the perspective. But anyway, um, OmniFocus bug filed. Uh, then we have Carrot, which is, of course, the best weather app that mm-hmm. exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the one on the bottom is timers so i can quickly tap and and start a timer that that one also sometimes rotates i sometimes change that one out and the one on the left i really want to recommend i absolutely love this it's it's the simplest thing it's called better day this is what so much of the apple watch should be but it's it's just a little app that allows you to customize how do you want the day and date shown on your watch and it sounds like such a simple thing, but there are very many th- things that you might want to have. And I absolutely love this because it shows 
you know, it says April 18th in words. But what I really like is the visual indicator of how much of the month has passed. I find that to just be really useful to see at a glance. Like I know obviously the number should tell me, but it's, I just like to receive that information in just a more visual way. So I love that there's a little progress slider for how much of the month has gone by. So that's my current watch face. Okay. I don't miss the Apple watch. I don't blame you. I don't blame you for not missing the Apple watch. Mm. I mean, you know, I have, I have many complaints about the notification system that we can save for a later WWDC issue. You know, when you said that you gave it up, I wasn't like appalled. I, I can totally understand why someone would want to do that. And I, and I do think that the people I see who have the Apple watch with frequent notifications, I think are, are crazy people driving mm-hmm. themselves crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, like don't, don't do that. Like if you get an Apple watch, the very first thing you should do is turn off all of the notifications and then figure out what you actually want to turn on. Olivier asks, I'm somehow really interested in the Cortex discussion recently about Deliveroo, which is when you <laughs> were all, all locked away for a while and I was monitoring how many meals you were getting. Uh, I would love it if you guys what? spoke a little bit. Do you remember when you were in your fortress? No, no, of I know. Solitude? No, no. I like. I remember. I'm just confused that someone has a, like a delivery related question. Well, it was more like, okay. So let's let me finish the question. I think it makes a bit more sense. Would love if you guys spoke about food a little bit in general. Like lunch is a productivity killer for me, says Olivier. Um, mm. So you were talking about like you were getting just food deliveries because then you didn't have to think about anything, right? Yeah. During yeah. that period of time. Um, I hate lunchtime. Yeah, lunch is the worst. It's the worst thing. It's clearly the worst meal. It's at the worst time. Especially. Fuck lunch. Try, exactly. You know what? Yeah, fuck you lunch. All right? L- lunch at home. If you've got a reason to be out of the house, lunch is great. Brunch is better, but lunch is good, right? Yeah. But at home, lunch is just a butt that I hate it. Because... Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to not eat carbs. Ugh. Lunch can just go away. I hate you. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I don't eat lunch or I like try and combine breakfast and lunch into one meal. Yeah. I have kind of found that like if I am going to be at home all day, I don't actually need a lot of food to keep me going mm-hmm. for the day and like without there being a detrimental hit on my energy level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of just manage that way. So I, again, I don't know if I can re- recommend this to people specifically, but like the way that I think we both deal with it is we just try and have lunch as little as possible because it just gets in the way. My solution is a, li- is a little different, which is just that I've mentioned this in, in videos, but I, I, I really like, I can never express how much of a life changing thing it was for me to realize that I don't need to eat breakfast. and. Like it, it is a miserable change going through that at first, um, yeah. But being, yeah. but being on the other side of it, it like it really was life changing. Yeah, I, I think I'm in a similar boat to you. I have coffee in the morning, and then I'll eat something maybe around eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't really feel like I have either lunch or breakfast anymore. I just have this like. I have, and it's not brunch because I'm eating like not brunch food, right? Yeah. Like I'm not eating like a stack of pancakes, but like just what I will have is like, well, that's the one meal that I have other than dinner that day. Yeah. So like not having breakfast also sort of gets right around to the lunch problem because like food, food in general is this weird productivity killer. 
I hate it in the morning because it's a real danger zone of something went wrong of like, oh, you know, this I don't have this ingredient. And then your, your mind starts going down like other tracks of like, well, what else could I have for breakfast? Like, forget it. Like all of that stuff is just totally gone. It's an interruption and you can get sleepy after you eat. So by not having breakfast, my, you know, on, on like perfect days when things are just going so great, it's like I don't eat any kind of lunch until noon, maybe even one or two o'clock if I'm if I'm like really on a roll and I just don't want to like break the streak. This way for me, what happens is lunch happens ideally after I have done all of the most important work that I'm going to do in the day, which is mainly like reading and research and writing stuff. And then because I hate lunch, I have an extremely limited array of options, which are always just available. Mm -hmm. Just usually like I have two different ways to cook eggs and that is my lunch 80, 90% of the time. And we always just make sure to have a gigantic stack of eggs available in the house. So it's like work is done. I can just scramble up some eggs and I eat it. And now we're done here. The lunch isn't an interruption because I've front loaded the workday. I'm not having the terrible lunch food options. I'm actually just having breakfast. And then, then you just go on to dinner, which is like the one real meal in the day. So mm-hmm. yeah, lunch is the worst. It's, it's terrible. Do everything you can to minimize its impact. And for me personally, skipping breakfast and then moving breakfast to basically be lunch. Huge, huge quality of life improvement. Helps you lose weight too. Yeah. Depending on what you do for dinner though. You can really, you can really. You can really tip that scale if you, if you want yeah. to. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a, a be all end all. You've got to be watching everything. Yeah. It's not, a, you know, you can still be net positive on calories very easily depending on what you're doing for dinner. Oh, big bowl of pasta. Yeah. It's fine. I skip breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I eat a whole pizza and pasta. I only had breakfast. <laughs> I only had breakfast today, so I'm fine. I'm still on that diet. Yeah? Is it working out? Yep. I'm 20 pounds now. Oh, wow. Holy cow. Yeah, man. I don't know if I'm even going to recognize you the next time I see you in person. I don't know. I'm working through. I'm very happy. It's going to be Slim Mike on stage. Hopefully. I think I'm about halfway to where I want to be. Uh, but I'm currently the lightest I've been in like six or seven years. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's really good. Congratulations. Thank you. Samuel says, I recently got an iPhone XS Max and I'm considering getting a pop socket, but I'm concerned about how well it will fit in my pockets and also affect the wireless charging. What is your current deal with pop sockets on your phones? Uh, it kills me. The wireless the wireless really kills me. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm constantly trading off the wireless and the pop socket. What, what I'm currently doing is um, I found a case for my iPhone that I really like. It's the Moment iPhone case. Oh, the camera people. The case is there because it's attachable for lenses to your iPhone, mm-hmm. which I which I got because I wanted to try it out. Like I thought it was just an interesting system. Uh, but it turns out I actually really just like the case. I think it's maybe one of the best iPhone cases I've come across. And currently I just have the pop socket attached to that case. But I do find myself constantly going back and forth between liking the pop socket for being able to hold the phone and then being annoyed that I can't use wireless charging, hmm. which is doubly annoyed now that I have the AirPods that have wireless charging as well. It's like, I just I just don't want to have to deal with plugging in the wires. I find it a constant frustration between these two feature sets. And I just, I always want both. 
with none of the trade-offs, and I can't get that, so I flip back and forth between them. They have an option, but it doesn't. It's not good. Like they have this this new pop socket where you can take a piece of it off and it will work. No, but that yeah, it defeats the whole purpose. I might yeah, as well just plug in a wire. Exactly. Forget it. My thing is, I I'm just not a wireless charging person. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, so th- it doesn't bother me because I care more about the pop socket than wireless charging, and I'm just not. Yeah. You know, I have a couple of docks that I use already uh, that just have iPhone cables, and I've been using them for years. One on my desk, one on my bedside, and that works great yeah. for me. I use the pop socket all the time. I have no problem uh, with like putting it in pockets and stuff because you kind of just get used to the way that you put your phone in your pocket. And the way that I put my phone in my pocket is like I basically put my hand over the pop socket and put it in. Yeah, like yeah. that did not take me very long to adjust to at all. Yeah, that's the move. That's the move when you have the pop socket on there. Yep. I actually have a couple more pop socket questions. Uh, one comes <laughs> oh, okay. from Yakko. Do you put your pop socket in the middle of your phone or do you have it to the side? Where do you place it? Uh, I place it kind of near the top. Interesting. Because I I like it to be able to, um, if I have the phone in portrait mode and I put it down on the table so that it's lifted up a little bit like it's facing me mm-hmm. on the table. Every time I have to put a pop socket on, I very carefully am trying to find the balance spot where I can put it far enough up the phone so that the phone will face me in portrait when it's on the table, but not so far up that I can't in landscape mode also have the pop socket support the phone. Yeah. So there's, there's like there's a there's maybe a three millimeter worth of tolerance for finding that sweet spot. And so I'm always very carefully like I I want it to be in both of these positions so that's that's where i go for it but what do you do mike mine's in the middle like on an iphone it goes directly under the apple logo on my case right because that way i think it's it's aesthetically pleasing because it doesn't cover up the apple logo that would drive me mad uh but also it's it's in a place where i can hold it and still with my thumb reach the whole screen yeah because like with your system i don't know if you could use it one-handed yeah no you can't i can totally use it one-handed Okay. It's funny. It's a little bit like the opposite of, of having the phone rest on your pinky and you use your pinky to move the phone up and down. Having the pop huh. socket high, you can raise the pop socket with your middle and index finger holding it. So it's it's very one-handable. Oh, I see what you mean. Like you're pulling the phone up instead of dropping it down. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Huh, yeah. That's interesting. And PSI Monkey asks, have you ever tried a pop socket on an iPad? No Psy Monkey. I have not because that's dumb. No, that's I haven't ridiculous. done it either. I haven't done it either. Kindle, though, that's a life hack. Kindle, great. 12.9 inch iPad. No. no. No, you'd need like a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think one would be enough. I feel like that'd be more of a problem. Yeah. Andrews asks When you transitioned from uh, employee to business owner, did you hire an accountant? And if so, at what point? Andrew, this shouldn't be a question. This is a definite. Uh, you gotta have them. You gotta have one, in my opinion, like immediately. Uh, as soon as I wanted to set up my company, I hired a professional. Yeah. Because I don't know anything about taxes and it's really freaking confusing and it only gets more confusing as time goes on. So hire an accountant as soon as you feasibly can would be my recommendation. Yeah. I didn't hire an accountant at first and that was just partly because my father is a tax attorney and so he was handling a bunch of the finance stuff at the start but very very quickly like you said you get into complicated situations and it's like no we need to hire someone right but even then you weren't uh doing it on your own 
Right. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like I didn't hire someone because I had someone in the family, right? Yeah. Who was who was an expert in this area. Um, but even then it's like, well, my my father doesn't know all the tax laws like for two countries. So eventually transitioned to an actual accountant and then uh what is now a team of accountants and squad of accountants. <sighs> what is a group of accountants called? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> a murder. A murder of a... <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it needs to be some coin-related thing. Like a change Ooh, of accountants. A change of accountants. Um, I like that. A bill of accountants. Yeah, something like that. But I am in a very particular situation, but without a doubt, like it's it sounds like an exaggeration, but the accountancy and tax stuff is by far and away the biggest source of stress mm-hmm, <laughs> in mm-hmm. in running your own business. And it's like, I can't even, I can't even conceive of trying to do it on my own yeah being in a, a dual citizen brings up a whole bunch of particular problems that most people don't have to deal with but it's like if you're trying to run your own business you should not be dealing with the total spaghetti nightmare of accounting and taxes like you just don't even try <laughs> immediately hire an accountant yeah and if you again if you can or if you think it might be helpful speak to a uh, attorney, a lawyer, or something too, just to make sure you've got all of that sort of stuff squared away. Depending on where you're starting of your business, sometimes there's like additional legal paperwork that you might need. Yeah, it's difficult. I have this theory, mm-hmm. which I think I've shared on the show before. <laughs> accountants and lawyers exist, so accountants and lawyers can exist. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. The the and it, this isn't something that accountants and lawyers are doing, but the systems that surround them. I genuinely believe are created to be so complicated that it supports the industries. This stuff doesn't have to be the way that it is, uh, but it is that way. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this is one of those things in life where I've sort of changed because I I remember when I was younger listening to people complaining about the complication of the tax code and feeling like, feeling like it was a sort of fake complaint that people were using because they just didn't like taxes. Mm -hmm. And now having had direct experience with it, like there are, there are times when you can just see the intentional complexity in rules. And it's like, the system is not designed for its stated purpose, which is how do we fund a country uh, in the, in a reasonable way? It's like, no, 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 no. This system is just a quagmire of competing interests. And it's it's really unbelievable when you see it up close. Like, it's a very simple system if you're just an employee. But the moment you're not an employee, it's a freaking nightmare. And I completely understand why now people who own businesses, you'll often hear complaining about the complexity of all of these systems. Because it is legitimately a problem at a whole bunch of levels and it just doesn't feel like it needs to be that way mm-hmm. but it's it's an expression of all of these competing interests but then it all comes down to the the hilarious part where you're still signing it and saying <laughs> you understand it and that everything's correct even though you definitely do not yeah i know i I always i always really resent that part it annoys me every single time <laughs> like why do why do i pay anyone if it doesn't matter ultimately <laughs> yeah. but yeah so pro tip hire an accountant <laughs> yeah really do like genuinely really really do um we don't spend a ton of time talking about like how you should set up your business because i just don't know how much 
advice we really have to give because both of us have only really done it once or twice but yeah and it's always it's always so particular yeah like the the reasons for setting up a company in a particular way just matter so much on the individual circumstances that that talking about it feels feels pointless it's not generally applicable knowledge so like i wouldn't yeah especially as we're in the uk and the majority of our audience is in the us and the systems are completely different like even just the the nomenclature of what a company is right like what is called is like a completely different thing yeah i had a lot of vocabulary to get my head around yeah okay where i was like what are these words (laughs) why do you say things like oh we're trading now like does that mean i have a company like i don't understand (laughs) just all trading goods but yeah get an accountant speak to an accountant get an accountant This episode is brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system perfectly tailored to your home. We live in such a high bandwidth world now. You need a distributed system in your home to make sure that you can get the best speeds available. Because if you want to stream Netflix in the kitchen, somebody wants to listen to Spotify in the bedroom, you got to make sure that you have an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system, which Eero can give you in your own home in just a few minutes, and that will ensure that everything runs smooth, fast, all times. It starts with the second generation Eero device, which has three 5 gigahertz radios. This allows for increased speed and range. It will sit flat on any surface and you can connect it wirelessly or over Ethernet if you want to. Then you'll be able to easily expand the coverage from this device out to your whole home by adding in Eero beacons. These are tiny little devices. They plug directly into the wall so you can put them in every corner. If you have an outlet, you can put a beacon in it and then you'll be able to extend that connection out to everywhere. An Eero is also now in Introducing Eero Plus, which is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all of the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you have powerful parental controls at your fingertips. It also includes ad blocking functionality to help load times for websites that are full of privacy invading ad tracking. It's also possible to have Eero Plus check the sites that you visit against a database of millions of unknown threats as well to prevent you from visiting anything malicious. Eero Plus even includes subscriptions to one password for password management and malware bytes for antivirus solutions as well. Eero is amazing. The connection that you can get from an Eero device in your home really is unbelievable. Having that system, that distributed system that's really tailored to do this is fantastic. You'll be able to get speeds everywhere. I've used Eero devices extensively and I'm really, really happy with the results that I've seen, um, as is everybody I know that has one. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus just by going to Eero.com slash Cortex and at checkout use the promo code cortex that's eero.com slash cortex and the code cortex to get 100 dollars off the era base unit and two beacons package and one year of euro plus our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and relay fm uh, brandon asks why don't either of you post content as text gray given that your videos are scripted anyways why do you prefer communicating via video um, as someone starting out wanting to have a creative outlet, what medium should I focus on, text, video, or audio? Have you ever really written articles, Mike? Oh, I've tried, man. I tried. Oh, have you? Did you try to have a blog? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, did I? Oof, so many. So many. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. my God. So many failed blogs in my lifetime. <laughs> I tried being, like, Apple News reporter. I tried reviewing apps. I tried a million different personal blogs, you know, my own personal musings about things. There's, yeah. It's just a, it's a disaster. 
uh, back there in, in, in the annals of web history. Luckily, nothing ever got big enough that it would be stored anywhere, and I took a lot of time to delete the rest. You know, it's just like I've just, I'm not good enough at it. No, you know what? I want to rephrase that. If I ever come across something that I've written, by and large, I'm really happy with it because mm. I don't think that I'm a bad communicator. Like, I can mm -hmm. communicate things. I just really do not enjoy writing. It's just not a thing that I enjoy. I don't like grammar because I'm not good at it. Mm -hmm. I don't like having to remember all the different rules and the style guides, right, that people seem to really love. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not interested in any of that. And I don't like the process of immediate editing. I get too stuck in that. So, mm -hmm. like writing something, seeing what it said, and then be like, oh, fix that, fix that, because it stops the flow. The mm -hmm. editing that I do now happens afterwards. I've said all the stuff already. I can't like actually change what I just said, so I'll just change it later if I need to. And right. I, I really like that method of communicating. Like I just like talking extemporaneously because it, mm -hmm. it matches more with the way that my brain works, I think. And that's why I've always preferred audio. Um, I don't think that there is a specific medium worth focusing on, like out of text, video, or audio. It's about what you prefer. Try them all if you really are not sure and see which one fits for you, but they're very different. Yeah, they're very different mediums. I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but one of my goals for doing podcasting was actually to get better at extemporaneous speaking. Because like that never felt like a core skill of mine. I want to conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I do think I've gotten better over the years of of doing podcasts. But that that was specifically something in mind that I had of of like this is a way to try to exercise a skill talking to people and like any of these skills it's, it's something that you can develop over time. Um, but yeah, like. What medium should you focus on, text, video, or audio? I feel like that's that's a strange question because it feels like you should you should be thinking in terms of what is it that you want to make, and I, I mean, like I I would say of those three, text is the total loser medium. But if you like, if you really love the written word, then you should still focus on text, and maybe you will be successful at it. The total loser medium. <laughs> Yeah, you can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to clarify what the loser is in, in that sentence. I don't, I don't want you to do it either. <laughs> okay, well, let me then just say why I don't really write articles. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you like go through my blog, you'll find there's a few, but they all have something in common, which is like I was kind of like annoyed about something and wrote it out or they they tended to be produced in relatively short periods of time. Mm -hmm. But like you, I don't really like writing either. And so for me to write an article for my blog is it's like an insanely poor use of my time because it's it's all of the frustration that comes with writing something with just no upside whatsoever. Because the number of views, the number of people who are going to read it on my website is dramatically smaller than if I'm uploading a video to YouTube. And I don't earn any money from it. I didn't want to have ads on my blog. So like 
spending time to write an article is just is crazy. It's it's like self mutilation. Like I'll go th- go through all the agony of writing and get nothing in return. Mm-hmm. Plus, there there is a thing which is you know talking about thinking about the thing that you, you want to create. I have definitely noticed over time and and developed my writing skill in a particular way, where. You know, I, I started out thinking like, oh, I, I want to try my hand at writing and writing a whole bunch of stuff. And then I realized very quickly like, oh, I'm better at nonfiction than I am at fiction. And then within that genre is like, oh, I'm actually better at writing things that are explanatory. And then realizing, oh, I'm good at writing things that are meant to be spoken and then writing things that I am intending to speak. And And so over time, I've ended up just developing a writing style that really doesn't make sense in the actual written form yes a hundred percent i write like i speak now and i I get this a lot like from friends and stuff that in text messages and stuff they can really hear my voice Mm -hmm. because it's very similar i don't know what the chicken or the egg is in that scenario but like that's that's kind of where i am yeah it's interesting. I've gone so far down this road of like developing a writing style that is intended for me to speak that I've had to change something recently about reaching out to experts where I used to send experts a copy of the script to say like, oh, hey, can you take a look at this? This is something that I'm working on. And over the years, I've I've noticed that more and more of the feedback, people were getting distracted by all of the stuff that wasn't the reason why I'm contacting an expert about where they're like, what the hell is this paragraph? Like this paragraph doesn't make any sense. And it's like, oh, right, of course, because I'm going to be speaking it. It's not written to be understood on the page. So I've, I've actually just started to do, send out modified versions of the script where I like strip out everything except the paragraphs or the little yeah, sentences that like I care that for the expert to look at. For me only, it's not for you, right? Yeah. Like th- th- that's, tailored to the way i speak not the way that anybody else would read yeah and it's also why uh, if you go through my blog and look at some of the older videos i used to post the script as a a transcript along with the videos Mm -hmm. and i eventually stopped doing that for the same reason it's like this actually doesn't add anything it's not intended to be written this way so um i've i think my ability even to write an article that is intended to be read and understood in the in the pure written form like i think that has atrophied as I've strengthened my skill of writing a thing that I intend to speak. So Mm. writing for me in text, anyway, total loser move. Dean asks, with time tracking, how granular is too granular? I started tracking my time this year and I'm still trying to find the right level of depth without having to switch time as every five minutes. Okay, five minutes, way too granular. way too six minutes that's fine five if you really pushed it oh man that's crazy what do you think is like the minimum unit of time to track like what do you think is the smallest unit that you tend to track mike 20 to 30 minutes yeah okay that's that is exactly my i think like less than 20 minutes it becomes a bit of an exercise in futility i think what might be a better thing to say is whenever i'm tracking time i'm expecting at least that amount of time Sometimes it's 10, but that's mm. because I finished what I wanted to do faster than I thought it was going to take me to do it. Yeah, that's a really right? good way to put it. Yeah. Like if I'm, because I only track intentional work time. Mm-hmm. So like if I sit down to do a thing, start the timer, 
And I could be there for two hours or I could be there for 11 minutes, right? But but when I'm sitting down to do it, I'm expecting, it's probably take me about half an hour. Yeah. Which is why also time tracking is so important because otherwise I would think everything took me exactly 30 minutes to complete <laughs> when it really does not. <laughs> you know, I, went, I had a funny day yesterday. I had like a just a crazy day, bit like mm. busy-wise. And I want to just send you a screenshot because it just looks so funny in the Toggle Mac app, the piece of junk that that is um i just want to show you what my kind of like my projects just look like on a daily basis i just think it's funny so this is on like a day of editing three shows and recording two shows and it just starts from the morning show prep show prep editing recording editing sponsors recording editing (laughs) (laughs) and it's just this like well i look at this list and i'm just like oh boy that was that was a difficult day (laughs) <laughs> the thing that i like about you know you say you're aiming for 20 minutes the thing the thing i like about time tracking is sort of the reverse about that which is the like okay i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna edit this podcast let me let me start the podcast editing timer and then somehow 30 minutes later it's like wait a minute why am i watching youtube videos like how, <laughs> wait, how did i <laughs> right like oh i thought i was going to sit down and do this thing and then i just didn't and that ability to take the timer and go like no 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 this wasn't podcast time at all and see the horror like what is the unit of time that you actually spent not doing the thing that you intended to is great so here's an interesting philosophical question for you then Mm -hmm. do you keep that time oh for sure yeah okay good good i specifically keep that time so, like, with my editing, right, I might be, like, of that, say, an hour, two hours or whatever, there might be, like, half an hour where I was just, like, walking around the house, like, <laughs> checking Instagram. But, mm-hmm. like, that is, in my mind, that's the work time, right? Because it's, like, I think about it, like, th- this idea of, of, of solo work and, and typical team-based work, like, you work for yourself or you work as part of a company and a team, Mm-hmm. You don't sit and just work constantly for a period of time. Mm-hmm. You do get distracted. You do go to the coffee machine. You do go talk to somebody, right? But but you're still working. You are at work and being paid for that time. Uh, so I think that it is unfair to be like, right, I'm going to stand up now and go into the kitchen. Stop the timer. Like, it just seems wild to me. This is also in my, like, when I'm in a good working groove is I'm intentionally taking breaks that are around 20 minutes long anyway. This this is why I think like 20 minutes is the sort of minimum viable time tracking thing. 20 minute break after how much work? I would say uh, like an hour and 20 minutes of work, hour and 40 minutes of work. Right. So, somewhere in that ballpark. You're, they're taking typically like 20 minutes of break for every two hours of work. Yeah. yeah. In a two hour window of time, 20 minutes of that was a break. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. Because it's okay. like, I'm very, like, I'm so aware that there is this like mental clock in my head that I can just, I feel like no matter what I'm working on, I start to feel getting antsy after the hour and 20 minute mark. And it's like, if I'm really, if I'm really into something, I can push it for a while, but then I need to take a break and then come back. So I do track that break time as, as a separate break. Mm -hmm. I don't track that as part of the working time, but it's just, it's useful to me because I want to see the pattern of what is my work day Interesting. Okay. Yeah. See, I just leave it all in one, but I'm way less granular than you, right? Yeah. I think, I think that's like, again, if you consider that part of the work, I think that's totally fine. 
to talk about like the question behind this question is that the time tracking should serve you. You are not a slave to the time tracking. And if you're constantly flipping switches to track your time, that's not doesn't sound like it's actually helpful to you. No. Um, but it's the same way, like this this thing that I find as you know, one of the great frustrations of my work is I always think of this as, particularly when it comes to the writing, of bouncing off the work. I was like, I sat down to do the thing and I sort of bounced right off it. And I do I do like to keep a record of that just to to have that in the system. And it's very useful because like, oh, I started a timer saying I was I was going to do this thing and then somehow I just didn't. And now I'm going to flip all of this time from, oh, I was writing into this was unintentional time. And this is like the worst kind of time that I can possibly have. But I, w- I would say as a general rule, bigger, broader things are much better to track than small granular pieces. Like when in doubt, combine categories into bigger, broader categories. You almost certainly start out by thinking you need to track things much more granularly than you do. And you you really probably only just need to see the bigger, broader trends. 